0: Welcome to AMI Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. Join the founder and CEO of Multifunding, Ami Kassar, and his co-host Lynn Ozer, the president of Multifunding, aka the SBA Queen, as they help you navigate, grow, and stay in control of your business.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Amisites. I'm Ami Kassar with my co-host Lynn Ozer, aka SBA Queen. We are very excited to have our guest today, Angela Putin. She's the author of Stop Blending In. The seven steps for achieving thought leader status and standing out in your field. She's also the owner of 11 out of 11, a marketing agency that offers outsourced content marketing services and HubSpot expertise and training. Angela, welcome. We're happy to hear about your agency as well as your rescue dog, Bernie. Angela <laughs> Thank you. resides just outside Philadelphia with her two sons and her husband. I'm a proud to call her a fellow member of the EO Philadelphia chapter. Angela, welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Ami. Good to be here with you and Lynn.
1: We're We're thrilled to have you. Tell us what makes you tick.
2: What makes me tick is giving people freedom. So when I worked at an agency previously, I was a full-time employee. Um, I kind of climbed the ranks and I left as COO of a prior agency. And I was working 60, 70 hours a week. I was hardly seeing my kids. They were tiny at the time. And I was commuting an hour each way. Now, this is before COVID. (laughs) So I left because I was primarily burnt out wanting to spend more time with my children. And I started freelancing, kind of took some time to figure things out, and then started 11 out of 11. And one thing about our business model is it's comprised of a lot of subcontractors people who really own their own work-life balance and who choose how much they want to work in their life versus spending time traveling or doing other things or spending time with family. And being able to empower people to own that themselves and dictate that whatever that means for them um, is something that really makes me tick and gets me excited.
3: That's That's awesome. I, I love listening to these work-life balance stories. I had that issue my entire life, and um, I was fortunate not to have to be in an office, but this, mm-hmm. is, this is better. So what was the biggest challenge starting your own business?
2: I think having no idea what I was doing, really. (laughs) I mean, I had worked at other agencies, so it wasn't like I started a baking business or something like that. I mean, I knew a lay of the land, and I knew uh, enough being on the leadership team about what contracts should be like, how you should um, price, and how retainers can help your business versus project work and that sort of thing. So I knew business model wise and structure wise, a lot more than someone coming in totally green, but I still had no idea what I was doing. I was never in a sales position. So I was selling engagements for the first time in my life. And um, there's so much to learn. I Became a member of EOA, probably Entrepreneurs Acceler- Organization Accelerator, probably two and a half years into it, something like that. And that was my key to getting other people's opinions on things and, and really trying to learn from others in what I should be thinking about, you know, getting outside of my own head and my own perspectives on things and listening to other people's opinions was critical in helping me grow. But I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, you know?
3: Do oh, any apparently, one? that's not
1: true.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean, that's
2: kind of true.
1: <laughs> Andrew, so what year did you start? And it might be a lot of <laughs> It might be living through some post-traumatic stress, but tell us about that first year.
2: Um, actually, I would say the first three years were super fun. Um, I really just got every client that signed, I got really excited and I can't believe they want to work with us, was more <laughs> my attitude going into that. Um, not because I didn't think that we could deliver, I knew we could deliver, just I was just kind of a kid in a candy store, like just excited that it was taking off and growing and making money and, um, you know, going back to what makes me tick, also empowering people to build a life that they wanted. And so I had a lot of fun in the early days. Not that I'm not having fun now. It's just as you grow and scale, there's complexities that come um, that, again, continue to challenge me and feel like everybody else is playing chess and I'm playing checkers and I'm just learning, trying to learn how to play chess every step of the way. But yeah, it was honestly, I I feel like I was really lucky in the beginning. Um, So that was 2017. So three years later, uh, COVID hit, which I know for a lot of people was a panic situation for us. We were our remote team We put our laptops away on Friday. We opened them up on Monday and just did the same thing we were always doing. And we thrived during COVID. We didn't really have any of the, um, you know, Ami, you said trauma, but trauma that a lot of other organizations where they were used to being in person or thriving on trade shows or anything like that. We didn't face any of that. Luckily, we're very, very, very blessed. And so, you know, it's been a gift every step of the way to me quite honestly, and such a opportunity to learn and grow and be challenged in ways that I never really thought about going into it.
3: When you were growing your company and adding people, tell me a little bit about learning how to delegate pretty specifically, because when you are an entrepreneur and you're so used to, as you said, working for someone else, so you had your lane to drive in, and now you're overseeing the entire, you know, pattern. Mm -hmm. How did you do it? And how did you decide who to give what to?
2: To me, delegation is a lot about trust. And so aligning with people that you can trust, I think, is, for me, at least personally, a big, huge part of letting go. And so it was really about building the team and um, providing training or coaching in areas that they needed to grow, right? And and we tapped into external resources to do that. And then just having that trust and that empowerment. I know myself very well as far as delegation. I feel like everybody struggles in different ways as a leader. I may, if it's not done the way I want, I swoop back in and do it myself that's my bad behavior from a delegation perspective. Well, I'll just take care of it myself. And so when you have people who actually do things better than you could, you get away from that feeling, (laughs) right? Because you're like, oh my gosh, I would have never done it that way. That is awesome. I didn't, you know, not only did I not have the time, but I didn't really think about solving that problem that way or putting that process together. So we didn't have to work through that again, whatever the case may be. And so for me, since I know my tendencies, it's about having people around me who are smarter and doing the work better than I could.
3: That's great.
1: Angela, there are a lot of different marketing agencies out there. What area of expertise do you have, what you thrive on, or what really kind of makes you stand out?
2: Yeah, so there's two things that we thrive on. One is helping companies become thought leaders. So we're interested in working with people who want to be a thought leader in whatever it is, you know, whether it's their industry niche or their special way of doing what they do. We do that through creating content. So we interview them, we ghost off of that content, and then secretly behind the scenes, a big muscle that we flex is helping them with the rhythmic approach to creating consistent content. You can't just write one article. You guys know from doing a podcast, you can't just do one thing and expect people to take notice. You have to keep going and keep going and keep going and make it rhythmic. And so our, our processes and, and project management allow that to happen. That's kind of our secret weapon behind the scenes, but the thought leadership is the first piece. And then the second piece is we help people with HubSpot. It's a very common tool for the small to medium sized business, especially in B2B, which is where we focus. And we hitched our wagon to that tool from day one and help people get the most out of that tool. And what that means is they can automate portions of their marketing and sales processes. Like every time a proposal goes to somebody, They get a series of follow-up emails, right? So we help build those things and make those things
3: happen inside of HubSpot for them. That's awesome. So when you were doing these different things, tell me about what was the spark that went off to help you or make you decide to write the book?
2: Yes. So I've always been fascinated with thought leadership and have felt like it is truly a way that companies can differentiate themselves and stand out with amongst their peers or their competitors. And I know there's not enough people taking advantage of that, right? Um, I think more and more it's growing. At the time when I wrote that book, it was less so the case. I believe that businesses who have multiple thought leaders within them struggle to raise the voice of their chief revenue officer or their chief HR person. And so the book also contains some information for people who have what's called intrapreneurs. So there's employees of the organization, but they're thought leaders themselves in their space. And companies sometimes think, well, I can't really elevate their voice because what if they quit? Well, it's like, well, what if they stay? Right. Um, maybe to look at it that way and figure out how to amplify all those voices within the organization because that really helps build the reputation of the company beyond just the owner.
1: Right. Azra, do you worry that chat GBT is going to sort of um, because it's becoming easier to produce content? I admit it I haven't even logged in and tried it yet because okay. I'm kind of like writing my own stuff. Do you all think right? this is going is going to sort of democratize thought leadership content to such a point that it'll almost become overwhelming?
2: Thank you for that question, because I think about it, as you can imagine, all the time. (laughs) Um, I use it. So I use it at least a couple of times a week. And in my experiences with it, and with other similar AI tools, it's an awesome writing assistant. So it's like the friend you didn't know you needed when you go to write. Is it writing your content for you? No, and it shouldn't because Ami, I don't want, I want to read what you want to write. I don't want to read a robot's writing, right? That doesn't help me in my day. I want to read Ami's thoughts on whatever it is. And so it becomes this writing assistant, just like when we were in school and our teacher would look at the paper and say, well, this is a way you could possibly make it better. And you would go back and do that work, right? So that's where chat GPT fits. And if people start using it, like it's their writer and that's all, I think people will backlash against that because we are humans. We care about human connection. We care about you know, the thinking of other humans. We don't really care about the thinking of computers in the same way. Just like we never did um, dated Siri, right? We want to date a human being. We don't want to date a robot and become in a relationship with a robot. That's weird. The same thing <laughs> has to go. So um, our team uses it for efficiencies. Uh, examples of how I use it, if we need to document a process, it's a great way to get a start on documenting a process. If I have to send an internal email, it's a great way to get a start at writing an internal email. If I'm trying to think of my next webinar topic, it's a great way to come up with some topic ideas for my next webinar topic. But it is not the finished product. It's just
3: an assistant. I think that that's amazing for people who, like you, know how to write but people like me <laughs> who are, are more numbers oriented and dropped every course in college where I had to write a term paper. It's pretty tempting, I have to say. Um, so I would hope that um, you know, people don't you know, use it the way it's supposed to be utilized. And, and that's, um, that does scare people like me because mm. I don't know. I wouldn't know if I was reading your thought or the robot's thought.
2: Yeah, I think there's going to be people who use it to replace their own thinking, and there's going to be backlash against that. I think that is coming. Um, You know, if we read a Wall Street Journal article and find out it was written by an AI tool, I don't think that's going to go over well. I think people are going to feel at risk for trust and trusting thinking and um, we've had enough of that, right? I and know, this, that's all, a rabbit
3: hole. We are yes. already down in yeah. a lot of areas, I agree.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I know there's people trying to slow it down and stop and like, think about the ramifications. I think they, you know, that can of worms is already open. It's a little hard to stuff it back in, but I do think humans are gonna do some of that um, prevention just in how they react to things. hmm
1: See Angela, you don't know Lynn well, but in our office, we call her our chief technology officer. So ChatGBT, it's just right up her alley. She just loves new technology, emerging technologies. So we're so looking forward to her logging in and using it as a tool for her thought leadership. She's gonna do amazing.
3: Nice. No, no one ever has to worry about it not coming out of my brain because I don't know how to get it out of the computer. <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything I tell you about SBA lending is clearly not AI.
2: <laughs> there you go. Well, good. We we're glad that we can trust you, Lynn.
3: Well, uh, people of a certain age, you know, it it's not natural for us not to do it that way. But that's that's interesting. But now, okay. So that, so that is a challenge and, and certainly in your world. But tell me about you. I, something that you said way on earlier in the podcast was when you started your own business, you didn't have to sell. So how did you rectify that in the beginning?
2: Um, I don't. No. I mean, other than I just did what I thought I needed to do, right? So I would try and test a bunch of stuff. For example, there was a period of time where every proposal that I sent had an accompanying video to walk people through the proposal and here's some of my thinking and um, in some of those cases, I had access to their HubSpot account, so I could give them some uh, thoughts and ideas uh, through a screen record. I would do things like that to try and see how people react to them, reacted to those things, and then if it was positive, I would just do more of that. And if I got no reaction, I would get frustrated, but stop that thing, whatever that might be. And so. I kind of was like a child in that way where you're just trying to learn how people react to different things that you do and like, do what you, what you get positive reinforcement on. Yeah. Um, I had been on sales calls at other agencies, so I wasn't totally cold. You know, I did have that fly on the wall experience before. And then I think the other thing that I tried was just to be super authentic. If I didn't know what I was doing. I certainly wasn't going to pretend that I was something I wasn't, right? And so instead of fake it till you make it, I decided to go the other route of just being super authentic and trying to lean on my small size and being nimble and just talking about the things Mm. that were truthful. And I think for
3: the right clients, that made sense. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think. Um, and I've had that experience. I think that you know, being yourself and the fact that you you know the content um is a great way to go. There's people that could sell anything. And then there's people who know their business, and they can, just by knowing it, you are so authentic that that it works really well. How did you make the leap from Working in your business to working on your business,
2: I still work in it quite a bit, to be honest, um, probably too much, and so I'm working on ways to change that. Um, but I think going back to about trust and and empowering people who can manage things better than me yeah. was a big part of it. Um, a critical hire in our earlier stages was our client services manager. I mean, she works with the team who manages all the client work way back when I was selling and doing the work, right, executing it. And so um, if there's like a big strategy piece or something, I'm still involved in some of the client work, but it's pretty rare these days. So now I'm looking at what else can I extract myself from? What's the right thing to do first, second, third, as far as what the business needs? And that's not
1: easy. It's a big Angela, time. Angela, yes. just my philosophy about life, if it helps you at all. Please. Is I'm constantly trying to get myself fired. hmm I'm constantly trying <laughs> to make myself, I mean it. I've been doing it since day one, irrelevant to the business, which means I'm thinking about whatever I'm working on for the business and trying to find ways to find people who are better at it than I am so I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about it and empower them to do it. What happens if you're successful at that is the cheese keeps moving, right? I'm still here. Yeah. But if we you haven't fired them. Up, <laughs> If you keep but if you keep pushing and pushing through that process, what you'll find is ultimately you're spending your time in the most valuable things. Right. even i even I just went to South Africa for ten days, and which was a long time to be away from me and for Ea's global leadership conference. And there were a couple things that I realized I was the only one who could do them when I was away. And I'll be working to eliminate those bottlenecks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now that I'm back. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's little things. But just try constantly get fired. It's great.
2: Yeah. No, I love it. I think that's my theme for the next, I mean, should be forever, right? But really, like I gotta constantly look at it that way for over the next six months. I gotta like really focus on that because. I end my weeks these week, you know, past few weeks being like exhausted and just, I got to get myself out of it. I know that, but I'm not taking action toward it. I'm just continuing to do all the things. So I really got to start to make some headway there.
1: People talk about like an EOS world visionary and integrator. Mm -hmm. I personally find that to be way oversimplified. There's a great, Model by this guy called Ishak Adizis, A-D-I-Z-E-S, where he talks about E-A-I-P and four types of a great team. Hmm. So the four attributes are E for entrepreneur, A for administrator, I for integrator, but in his mind, integrator is more someone who's just worried about everyone's feeling and working together and all this, and P for producer, which is someone who just, like, knocks out the widgets. Yeah. And what he says is it's impossible for any one person to be good at those four things, Hmm. which is true.
2: That's interesting. And
1: and so if you look at your one or two strengths on that model, I know I'm a raging E and I'm a pretty good I. I'm a terrible A and I'm a terrible P and I'm surrounded (laughs) in my, my team by A's and P's.
2: Interesting. I'm going to check that out. Thank you. Yes.
1: I'm sorry for stealing it, it, your podcast to
2: no,
3: it's talk good.
2: my
1: stuff, but there you go. I couldn't help myself. It's the teacher. Awesome.
3: yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll turn the spotlight back on you, Angela. And my Thank you, Lynn. Is, that's all right. <laughs> my question is: um, so strategically, as now the entrepreneur and working on your business. How important are goals, short-term, long-term, interim, and do you do that alone or with your team?
2: Mm-hmm. I've always been a very goal-oriented person who kind of, in an almost overly stubborn way, knew what she wanted and just went for it. And so goal setting is not abnormal. I've been doing it since I was like five years old, right? I'm going to say... $32 for a cabbage kit. I still remember collecting the money in the jar and like achieving that goal. And then it was something else I wanted. Um, and so I have some long-term goals for sure. I have pretty good clarity around that. Um, so 11 out of 11 is not a lifestyle business. It's not something that I just want to like own forever and have it kind of feed my family. That's not how I'm looking at it. Um, As far as short-term goals, you know, breaking down those long-term goals, just like I was saying, like the next six months, I really got to focus on that because I won't get to the long-term goals without it. Um, You know, I actually break things down. So we do love the US at 11 out of 11. I break down things on a week by week basis of things that we need to achieve each week. Um, So, you know, and things shift. From time to time, right? But um, for the most part, we're pretty we're pretty clear on what we want to achieve here.
3: And I love the way you use "we." You own the business, and you include your team in in the goal strategy and goal setting meetings. When you do that, is that right?
2: Not the entire team. So the way we do it is. Um, Kelly, my client services manager and I set our goals every single quarter. And then we roll those down, right? To things we need to work on every week. I mentioned before, like project, we're a project management secret weapon agency. And so we use the same methodology that we apply to clients, we apply to ourselves. Um, so the cobbler's kids do have shoes in our company. We make sure that we take care of all of our own marketing, just like we would for a client and as well as whatever our goals might be. Uh, as far as the rest of the team, remember many of them are subcontractors rather than employees. So we do, um, either quarterly or biannual check-ins with them. So we always do like a big year summary at the beginning of a year, just to, get everybody understood of where we're at and where, where we've been and where we're going. And then we do check-ins throughout the year as well with them. It's great.
1: And tell us a little bit about your EO journey and how that's hopefully helped you.
2: Tremendously. Um, so I started in EOA. I was in it for two years. Um, I had two different accountability coaches. They were both phenomenal, and I joined EO in June of 2022. I graduated EOA, joined EO in 2022, and um, we're doing something different right now, which I'm so excited about. So rather than a regular forum, we're launching, I think, Philadelphia's first mentorship forum is what we're calling it, or what Katie is calling it. Um, where instead of it being a forum where occasionally you might pull in somebody to speak or or do a retreat moderator, um, we're styling the forum meetings like an EOA meeting. So the people who are joining this were EOA graduates, so they're familiar with how that went and they are missing it right they're missing that accountability and that structure and um, the coach's voice in the room and so everybody who's part of that mentorship forum is looking to sell one day and so that's kind of the focus of the group that's our common thread is that we want to use forum to fix or architect or build the things in our business that are going to allow us to grow and sell. Well,
3: that's
2: that's oh,
1: real. I love it. Yeah, and I applaud the I applaud the innovation. I really do. So,
3: yeah, I'm great. super excited. Very excited. well. You 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 hinted at that earlier when you said this isn't just a lifestyle for me that you know eventually you do want to sell. Um, What do you picture yourself doing after you sell?
2: I think taking some time for R&R and then not quitting working. Um, So if everything works out, I'll be 50 when I sell the agency. Um, that's a little too early to retire. Unfortunately.
3: Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's also, way early.
2: <laughs> it's way early. And also my husband's going to, he's an architect He loves what he does. He's going to continue working. So I can't just sit around by myself. Mm-hmm. Right. What my biggest passion is helping company through the brain that I have, which is marketing. And I Desire to work with companies at a more intimate level than I'm able to do at the company because I'm running the company, and so very likely I will turn more toward a um, CMO type role. Fractionally, you know, I'll still own my own consulting practice and do it outside, um, but where I can get more involved in strategy and important decisions and really help a company grow and and probably will be targeting companies looking to grow fast and sell.
3: That's great. Interesting. Yeah, for it. yeah.
1: I got one really important question. We haven't talked about your rescue dog yet. Tell no. us about him. Or...
2: <laughs> you could probably hear him in the background. Hopefully not. There's, They are repaving our street today. And so there's a lot of upsetting trucks out there that he is giving a piece of his mind to. Um, we adopted Bernie... My kids, of course, like most kids, begged for a dog forever and ever. I've never had a dog. So we put up a fight and finally lost that fight. And we went and adopted him. It was a rainy day. They had a rainy day special because no one was at the shelter. And so we got him really cheap. And on our drive home, there was a rainbow. So it was all just like this magical experience. And he is such a pain in the butt, like just a royal pain. In the Tukus, but we all love him. And, you know, he's an important member of our family. Do the kids fulfill
1: all their promises they agreed to do to take care of him before you adopted him?
2: For about a minute. That was it. For about a minute.
1: (laughs) How how old are the kids now, actually?
2: They are going to be 17 and 14 in a couple weeks. Awesome. Yeah. 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 It's a fun time.
3: They definitely are not prioritizing their dog anymore. Oh, that's God. for sure.
2: No, not one bit.
1: <laughs> Angela, if people want to find your book, where do they find it? They want to learn more about your agency. Where do they go? Yes.
2: Yeah, so the book's on Amazon. So just hop over there. It's on Kindle or you can get a hard copy of the book. Um, Repeat up. the name. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you search Stop Blending In, Angela Poynton, it'll come right up as number one. And then for the agency, 11 out of 11 using the digits, so 11outof11.com. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if you just search Angela Poynton and connect with me there, it'd be great. It's been
3: fascinating awesome. to listen to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank
0: you, Amina. It's
3: been a great conversation. Angela, thank, thank
0: you. you so, so much. Thanks for joining us today on AmiSites. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with a network of the nation's top lenders. Visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.